Well, it was a special treat to be able to speak as a pastor on the homecoming anniversary of a church. Uh, the committee decided to ask me, since it's our 40th, and I was glad to do it and glad to have Chris Hare back with us uh, in this special Sunday uh, because I was thinking, you know, 40 years from now, uh, be 75, and uh, most 75-year-olds are not preaching. Um, they just don't have the mental ability to do that anymore. And I thought, well, I guess this is my shot. Uh, this is this is it. I, I need to do it. And and uh, glad to do it. And I don't know if you thought about that, but you know, 40 years ago, I just kind of uh, that number 40. It's a significant number in the Bible. Uh, you see it throughout in various ways, and it's often tied to being tested, uh, temptation, even. Uh, you think about it, uh, Noah. Uh, was in the ark, and the Bible says that it rained for 40 days, 40 nights. Um, you, you see it, uh, when I think of 40, I, I think first of Moses, uh, who was uh, lived the first 40 years in Egypt, and then went to a wilderness and spent 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, so at age 80, he leads the people out um, from Egypt to the Promised Land, taking 40 years. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that a lot more later on. Jesus being in the desert uh, and being tested in the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, we, we think about Jonah preaching to Nineveh for 40 days. David comes across the people of Israel and they are being challenged by Goliath. And the Bible says that Goliath came daily to the army of Israel for... Okay, you could guess that, right? Even if you don't, 40, 40 days... And so you see many times the number 40 being used and being tested or tied to testing what God is doing, or even temptation. And so I wonder if, if God was testing this church for 40 years, what would he find out about us from the past 40 years? So kind of curious, we did this in the first service. We had four, I think, believe four individuals in our first service that were charter members of our church that were here 40 years ago, if, if you were here in the beginning of this church, uh, if, and you're still here with us, it, it just we want to know who you are. If you don't mind standing so we can see who you are, uh, those, of us, those involved, okay, we've got, all right, very good, very good. So we've got about 11 or 12, it looks like, uh, in this, this service, so. Uh, we're, we're just blessed to still be able to have, uh, I guess, around 16 uh, that are here with us. And then there's quite a few of you who were right there at the very beginning, maybe not quite charter, but you're right there uh, in the 70s, uh, beginning uh, with this church. And I don't know if you had in mind, when you first gathered together, what it might have looked like 40 years uh, from that date, 1970. But if you can imagine, what will this church look like 40 years from now? How many of you will be here 40 years from now? We did this the first time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, raise your hand. If you think you'll be here 40 years from now, all right. We've got some optimists here. Yeah, healthcare is going to get real good <laughs> uh, 40 years from now. Uh, you know, I I hope to be here 75. Well, I don't, you know, not everybody makes it 75 uh, as men. Um, I, I hope to be here to be able to see what it's going to be like. I, I, I Somewhat hesitant about it, but I hope to be here. Hope to be here. But you know, you think about it, those who will be here that will be active and working the church 
doing the various ministries, most of them probably right now, if they're here, what, maybe 15, 17, 18, maybe 20, if their health is good, and under. All right? So you want to have some idea of what it might be, go hang out with the children's class right now. Okay? Fact of the matter is, hopefully, 40 years from now, there'll be a lot of people that aren't born yet. They'll be a part. I wasn't born when the church started. And so God created in the hearts of the people a place for people who had not yet been born to be here and be a part of what's going on here. And so just keep in mind, if, if we know that 40 years from now, don't get too hung up about the worship style. Okay? Don't get hung up about the tradition because there'll be probably two or three other traditions that come and go. Uh, 40 years from now, and put our ministry and emphasis on who? On Jesus, very good, because he'll be here, and then on the children, on the children. So, I want to take us in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 32 and chapter 33. I'm going to, we're going to look at the life of Moses. Uh, like I said, I think of, when I think of 40, I think of Moses, because of his life being broken up in those three segments of 40s. And uh, I think in this passage that we're going to look at, there's just some good lessons that he reveals in a prayer exchange between him and God. It's an interesting contrast to how Moses first started out, to how he is in this uh, chapter 32 and chapter 33. Um, just in a little ways of context, uh, context, just to know, Moses, the first 40 years, if, if you watch the Prince of Egypt... Our, uh, the earlier, even earlier version of Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, you know that Moses spent his first 40 years in Egypt. He was trained, uh, educated as an Egyptian, as royalty. God rescued him in the, in the midst of a uh, uh, persecution where the firstborn, or all the male children of the Hebrews were being killed. God rescued him from that and brought him into the, to the hands of Potiphar's daughter, who raises him up as royalty, trained, educated as an Egyptian, spends his first 40 years in that way. Somewhere along the way, he identifies, he starts to begin to identify with the Hebrews, his own people. So when we come to uh, Exodus chapter 2, we find that, that Moses is encountering an injustice that's being done where an Egyptian is beating and on the verge of killing a Jew... And as he sees this, he just gets angry. I mean, just uh, so much so he loses his temper and starts beating the Egyptian and beats him, kills him by his own hands uh, by beating him. So I don't know what he was thinking there, if it was just flash of anger, or maybe he's thinking, maybe I can start something here. Maybe we can get a riot going. Maybe we can do some uh, unrest and, and get the Hebrews free through this. But the end result is that he fly, flees for his life. He runs away because he thinks, you know, Potiphar's going to get wind of this, or uh, rather, Pharaoh's going to get wind of this. I've got to run away. And so he runs to Midian. Uh, and uh, chapter 3, we find that he's in Midian, spends the next 40 years in this d- desert, arid region. There he takes a wife, Zipporah. He starts working with a, a sheep. For all he knows, that's his life. I'm going to be a shepherd I'm running away. I'm not going to go back to Egypt again. I wonder if he ever woke up in cold sweats, remembering the cries 
of children working out in the fields making bricks. I wonder if that ever came back to him, where he just had cold sweats, and, and that he would try to uh, distract and say, let me get my mind off that. I remember what was there, and that's probably still going on, but you know, that's no concern of me anymore, because I've got my sheep, I've got my wife, I've got my family, all's good right here. And life goes like that, until he comes across this interesting scene on a mountain, and Exodus chapter 3 tells us of the burning bush episode when God is revealing himself through this burning bush, reveals who God is, and says, you know, Moses, I've, I've been hearing the cries and the groans of our people, of your people, the Hebrews in Egypt. I know what's going on. I've not forgotten my promises. I want you, Moses, to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, Moses then takes this direction of, why should I not do that? He starts thinking, why, all the reasons why he shouldn't do that. And he's like, I've got a bad voice. You know, I'm not able to do this. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. And God just, one after the other, gives him reasons why he should and why he can because of God. And he says, you know, Pharaoh, or Moses, I'm going to be with you. So Moses goes and begins his trek. And in chapter 5, he, he tells Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. We need to go to uh, Sinai. And we need to worship God. Let my people go so that we can worship God and not be slaves to you. And in chapter 5, Pharaoh responds by making things even harder. Makes them even harder. And so, in in this chapter 5, Moses just responds and says in verse 22, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Do you understand what he's saying? God, the one time I tried to lash out and protect your people, I had to run for 40 years for my life. Now you've told me to go back. I've gone back, and I'm doing what you asked me to do, but I don't see you working, God. Are you even there, or is this just one big joke? Why did you even send me here? Because now it's even harder for the people. And so from chapter 6 on through the book of Exodus, you get chapter after chapter of God's power displayed. He says, Moses, I want to teach you a few things. What it means to have God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be walking with you. What does it mean to have the I am with you? And so Moses begins and takes the people there. God does great wonders. You've got the plagues that occur. You've got them going to the uh, crossing the Red Sea. God destroying the might of of Egypt uh, through the Red Sea. And now they're getting to the mountain that God told them they'd go to, Mount Sinai. And God had given Moses there on the mountain. He says, I want to give you some uh, plan for building a special tabernacle. He gives them the, the Ten Commandments. And he's there on this mountain for 40 days. And the people of Israel are starting to get frightened. They're getting scared. They're, you know, our leader's gone. What are we going to do? And so they start talking to Aaron, the, his brother, and says, you know what? We need a God we can see. This whole invisible thing, that's not working for us. I mean, that, just, that takes too much faith. We need something we can see. And so they, they take it to Aaron. Aaron has a, a golden calf made. All while God is, is talking to them, they make the, the golden calf out of the very earrings that God had blessed them with uh, when they left Egypt. That, that just adds insult to injury. And so God is aware, and he tells Moses, your people, the Hebrews, are messing up big time. And God is about to test Moses here. And he tells him, he says, I, I want to destroy them. I want to start anew. Let's just wipe them off. And this is where we get this interchange between Moses and God. So it is at this point, I think it might be good to read the text. And so let's read, uh, looking at chapter 32. Let's start with verse 30, if you will. 
And uh, we'll go on through chapter 33. So let's just stand as we read together, this being the word of God. Exodus chapter 32, beginning with verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You've sinned a great sin. And now I'll go up to the Lord, because perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you'll forgive their sin. But if not, please, blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. The Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. The Lord said to Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. If you skip down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. You may be seated. As I look at this Moses we just read, Compared to the Moses that was fleeing from Egypt for his life, what did he learn in 40 years? 40 years first gave Moses a burden for the people that overcame his burden for self-preservation. Up to this point, all the 40 years was described and could be summarized by Moses, you're just trying to save your life. You're getting out of danger You're getting out of the people's way, and you're preserving your life. But now something has happened to Moses. He is learning something of God, so that he says, when God says, I'm going to wipe him out, Moses pleads, no. No. Look, chapter 32, verse 10, just right before this, God makes an interesting proposition to Moses. He says, look, these people, you've been working with them for a little while. Moses knows what it's like to work with people. Do you know what it's like to work with people? All right? It's frustrating. It it is just, it will drive you to the end of your wits. I I have a hard time just going to Trader Joe's. I like Trader Joe's for some reason. But it's a a small store, and it seems like it's always crowded. 
and there's small aisles. And I can go anywhere without someone cutting in front of me. It just, it drives me nuts. It's just get away. I'm just, I just want to get away from that environment where there's a lot of people and having to work around them because people are just stubborn. And they get, they've got their own way. And they're cranky and they're irritable. And here Moses is with them. And so God gives this interesting proposition. He says, now therefore let me alone. So, you know, stop praying to me, Moses. That my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them. In order that I make a great, that I may make a great nation of you. You know what he's saying? Moses, let's just, let's just start from scratch. Let's just, let's get rid of these people. And I'm going to start a whole new nation with you, Moses. Now, do you understand the temptation of that? When you're dealing with people who are constantly frustrated, making mistake after mistake, won't listen to you, cranky, and he says, okay, no. Moses doesn't go that way. Now, why did God do this? Did God really forget all his promises to the people of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He says, no, oh, I forgot, Moses. I, I said I was going to preserve this nation and make him a blessing to the nations. God's not forgetting here. What God is doing is he's providing a test for Moses. God knows good and well what he's going to do. But he's looking to see how Moses is going to respond. What will he do? Is there still that anger in his heart? Is there still that self-preservation in his heart? This is, I want to run away. Can I get back to Midian, God? Let me, let me just get away from this. No, instead, in what we read together, that he responds by saying, No, God, if you're going to blot them out, blot me out too. Verse 33 of chapter 32. Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out my blood. But, God, but Moses says, no, look, if you're going to do it to them, do it to me. If you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out too. He has a burden for the people of Israel. He loves the people of Israel. Now let me tell you how that hits us. Green Pines, have we learned from God? And have we been taught to have a burden for the community? that overcomes our desire for self-preservation. Let me tell you how this fleshes out. I, I'm going to be honest here. I'm going to say some unflattering things about myself here. I, I grew up in North Raleigh. Um, North Raleigh, the people, that, as teenagers, you're looking for something to be prideful in, and the mindset is, boy, I, I know everyone in Raleigh wishes they could be in North Raleigh. That's the best part of the city. And that, that was my mindset. Um, being out in Johnston County, God did some work in my heart. And coming back here to Nightdale, my mindset is East Raleigh, Nightdale, that's kind of like the forgotten quadrant of our city. Um, you know, if you think about where churches are starting, they're starting east of us. East, Nightdale, Wendell, everybody wants to go that direction. They start in Briar Creek, where there's young, prosperous people around 540 Creedmoor, that direction. Cary. Isn't it interesting that churches start where there's a lot of rich, young people? I, I'm not going to say that's the motivation of people's hearts, but I am making an observation that it seems like more churches start where you have that demographic. When we look at our church and we go west into East Raleigh, I don't see any churches starting. 
In fact, there's not all that many churches. There's New Hope. Uh, you've got Longview. You've got RCC. Elevation Baptist. Moving east. One mile radius around this site. 4,500 homes. One mile radius. I hadn't... If, if you go five, it gets overwhelming. It just is overwhelming. But let me just share with you, as I as we moved in this area, and I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to do this in front of Hodge Road teachers, okay? When I saw Hodge Road Elementary, and I saw what was going on there when I first moved here five years ago, I wasn't excited. In fact, I was down. Here's my mentality. Man, if that school doesn't get it together, folks aren't going to move here. They're not going to be drawn here. This whole area is going to be impacted because the school's not doing what I think it should be doing. I'm honest. I don't think I'm the only one who's thought that. But I will admit, that's what I thought. Here's one of the problems with that mentality. I never owned the community. If they would just get their act together. If this community would just get together, and I don't see it as my community. You know one of the things that Moses is doing? It's my people. God, as my people goes, so do I go. I can't just stand off, distance, and aloof and say, man, I wish they would get it together. It's our school. It's our neighborhood. What is our mentality when homes open up that are rental homes? Oh, rental homes. Our house values just dropped. They're going to bring all types of people coming in here, moving here. They're not going to be like me. I'm not, I just don't like it. I don't like it. But you know what? They're our community. They're our responsibility. And we are tied to them. You don't like it? It's ours to get over that. It is ours to get over that. That they're here. The people are here. They're not like it's No, it's not like it was 40 years ago. And it won't be 40 years from now like it is now. So what do we do? We pray and we learn from God. God, give us a burden for the people that overcomes our burden for self-preservation. Let me tell you how God has worked in my life. If I was to look at all the schools in Wake County, I would not pick another school to be next to than Hydroid Elementary. In this community... I grew up North Raleigh. If I had a choice, I'm right where I'm at. I choose to be here. God has placed me here. But not only has God placed me here, I choose to be here. It is in the best place for our church to display God's working. And what am I about? Am I about my house value going up? Or am I about what God is doing? That's a question we've got to ask ourselves. Moses was around some stiff-necked people. 
But he said, this is my people. God, if you blot them out, you blot me out. Isn't that so different from 40 years previous when he runs away? So 40 years gave Moses a burden for the people that overcame his burden for self-preservation. Do we see ourselves a part of the community or do we separate ourselves so we can be free to be a cynic? Detached superiority looking down. Let me share something else here. As we keep on reading, we'll get to chapter 33. And there's something really powerful here. God says to the people, okay, I'll be true to my word. We're going to take you to the promised land. We're going to take you to land filled with, with, with honey. I'm going to send an angel before you. Notice that in verse 2. I'm going to send an angel before you who's going to drive out all the opposition, the resistance. Wouldn't it be great? What if God said to you, wherever you go, there's going to be an angel that goes before you and will take away the resistance. How many would sign up for that? All right. He gives that promise to them. Now notice where he's taking them. Verse 3. I will take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's, that is their way of saying, there will be a lot of prosperity where I'm taking you. Later on he says, you're going to be in houses you did not build. You're going to be in cisterns that you did not build. You're going to have vines and vineyards that you did not build. You're just going to walk right into it. How many of you would take up that promise where God says, I'm going to have an angel before you and I'm going to take you to a place where it's going to be prosperous. You're going to have your house. You're going to have your 401k. You're going to have your 529c plan for your kids. You're going to have your two houses and your 2.5 kids. How that works out. And you're going to have an angel going before you. Sounds like the American dream, doesn't it? But I won't be with you. But I won't be with you. Their reaction is they mourn. They cry. Chapter 33, verse 12, Moses says, verse 15, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Listen, 40 years gave Moses a desire for God's presence that was greater than a desire for God's blessings. Do you desire God's presence more than his blessings? Well, can you say like Moses said, God, if you're not there, don't even go with your angel before me. Don't take us there. God, if you're not there, don't take us to the land of milk and honey. God, if you're not there, don't take me to a house. God, if you're not there, don't let me have that 401k. God, if you're not there, don't let me have that that college account for my kids. God, if you're not there, don't let me have those two cars and a boat in the garage. God, if you're not there, I don't want that. Listen. It's been stated, and I think this passage speaks to it, the greatest enemy to the Great Commission is the American dream. The thing that hinders us from the gospel and letting the nations know about who God is is our desire for a comfortable, self-preserved life. 
What does it matter to have all the blessings of God if you don't have God? That is idolatry. Jesus said, if you do not love me more than your father and mother, you cannot be my disciple. If you put lands and houses before Jesus, then you are not his disciple. You just use Jesus as a way to make it convenient for you and of a well repute. But he is not your king or your Lord. And you're not a disciple. The disciple follows Jesus above all things. What does it matter to have a second house at the lake or at the beach or the mountains if you do not have God? If you don't have his presence. Moses learned something after 40 years. Before, you know, he was complaining because he was doing what God was calling him to do. He says, God, why did you even send me here if you're not going to work? But now he says, God, I don't care. You can bring me back to Egypt if you want, just as long as you're with me. You can keep me here in the desert as long as you're with me. Green Pines Baptist. 40 years from now, It doesn't matter if we have a million plus budget, if we do not have the presence of God. If we have a great youth minister, children's minister, you got all the staff, you got the bells and whistle of what society says, this is a good church. If we don't have the presence of God, if we don't, if we have great buildings and campus and all this stuff going on, if we don't have the presence of God, what does it matter? If we serve in Hodge Road Elementary, if we do projects in our community, if we make a difference in our community, but we don't have the presence of God, what does it matter? Other groups can do the same. You know what makes them distinct? What Moses says? God, God says, you know, if you're not with us, then we have nothing distinct about us. Green Pines, if we don't have the presence of God, then there's nothing distinct about us. There are other groups that could do what we do. That's why we spent the last 12 weeks talking about what does it mean to seek him. We cannot afford to leave that theme. Seek God. What does it matter if you've got your family and kids but you don't have the presence of God? What do you have to give them? Now listen, there's one other important lesson here. We see this in verse 16, 17, chapter 33. Moses said, How shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What's the motivation here behind this prayer? It's not that, oh, I love these people so much. You know, these are my friends. These These are dear people. No, that's not the motivation. The motivation is, God, what will the nations around think about you if you are not true to your word? He was concerned about the reputation of God among the nations. So, verse 17, the Lord responds. The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Wow. Can you imagine having a little exchange with God, and God says... Michael, I know you by name. You have found favor with me. How much, what would you do to get in that position? I mean, how many times would you go to church to do that? 
How much would you give? How much work would you do to get to that point where God says, man, I know you. You're well known. I know you by name. And you found favor. Listen. What you might spend the rest of your life doing, being religious, God does for you. He already knows you by name. He already finds favor with you. How can I say that? God, listen, God loves you so much that he gave his son to die and pay a death you should have died. He lived a life that you could not live and he did it for you. What other evidence do you want to see if if you've got favor with God? What other evidence do you want to know that if God loves you? You already are loved. You are already known by Him. The question simply is, are you going to receive what God has done? Say, I will trust in that. And I want Him to be my shepherd. I want His presence in my life daily. Jesus said, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave this place. And it's good that I do because I'm going to send another comforter who will come alongside of you who the Bible calls the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that indwells the person who trusts in God and changes their desires, messes them all up to be the type of person God wants them to be. And all of a sudden, they start having desires like Moses. Notice what he prays. Verse 17, 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. What does that have to do with all this before? Why does he want to, why is he bringing the glory of God up? The glory is talking about what is making God unique, beautiful, righteous, holy, how he is completely different from everybody else. He says, Lord, show me how you're completely different. Show me how righteous, how good, how holy, how beautiful, you wise you are. Show me just a little glimpse of that. And God says, no one can handle all that. I can give you a little glimpse. What does Moses learn from the 40 years in the wilderness and leading the people of Israel? 40 years taught Moses a passion for God's glory among the nations. God, let me see your glory. And Lord, because I care about your glory, make sure the nations see how you're working among us. One of the reasons... We want to love out loud our community. It's not about self-preservation. It's not about growing our church. It's not that at all. If that happens, it's a side effect. It's not, it's not the motivation. The proper motivation of loving out loud is to say, do the people up and down our road, have they learned how beautiful, how good, how holy God is? Do they know? And has anybody demonstrated to them the gospel? It is only after demonstrating the gospel do we have room to be able to tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Green Pines Baptist, do we have a passion like Moses for God's glory among the nations? Not just these that are here, but we also have responsibility to go where they are, to go to the East Asias, the South Asias, the, the various areas around this world, the Middle East. God, when he built this church, he did so to Change the world. As has been said, the, the flame that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. Yes, Hodge Road Elementary needs to know that Green Pines exist. Barkley Downs, Mingo Creek, Princeton Manor, Planters Walk, 
wide waters, green pines neighbors, the new neighbors, neighbors to be yet to be here, they need to know about this community. This community of faith within this community of Nightdale and East Raleigh. What do they need to know? There's a presence of God among that people. That's what makes us distinct. How's that expressed? Jesus said it'd be expressed through love. Be expressed through love. Forty years from now, maybe if God's so gracious and gives me the strength and I have a heart attack or stroke, maybe I'll be coming in here, sitting down somewhere, back row, because that's where, that's as far as you can go. <laughs> and I'll think of Miss Rada. I'll think of the others that are sitting there. Maybe I'll recognize a few children. But above all, may I recognize a familiar spirit, the presence of God. Let's pray for that. Let's pray.